Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hi, this is Mark Homer for Mark My Words. I've got a great guest for you today. I've got Gray McClellan, who has been involved in all sorts of things in his his wide and varied business career. Years ago, he was involved in, in restaurants. He was involved in the beer and wine industry. He's had a whole series of nightclubs. And then he became a lawyer. And um, so, you know... What this guy doesn't know about business and investing and, and borrowing money and, and putting borrowers and, and lenders together probably isn't worth knowing. So, Ray, welcome. Tell us tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you, Mark. Um, well, uh, yeah, I know I used to import beer and wine from Germany back in the days when you couldn't get decent beer and wine here. I organised a beer festival, Scotland's first beer, beer festival, Oktoberfest, apparently, which was quite good. Then I gravitated into restaurants, and then uh, once I got a little bit old for the restaurant business, and the leases were more valuable than the actual restaurant trading, I decided to cash in the chips, and then I was uh, looking around for things to do. I'd fallen out with my lawyer, um, and he said, well, you know, if you think it's easy being a lawyer, you should become a lawyer. So I thought, well, why not? So I did the law degree. <laughs> it's not that difficult. Uh, so I've fallen out with lots of lawyers. It's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> I've fallen um, out with lots of lawyers and never kind of thought, oh, let's do a, a law degree. So you, you, you must have well, no, really... I think, to be honest, the law degree was a combination of things. I quite enjoyed it, yeah. but I enjoyed what you see on the telly, you know, when you see the cut and thrust of lawyers and all the rest of it. I enjoyed that kind of aspect. My father, who was a bit annoyed that I never went to university after I came out of school was kind of pushing at me oh you know you should get a law degree and all that sort of carry on and we actually had a case that he was personally involved in it was to do with council tax and stuff and I went up to court and against two barristers for the council I won our case so of course he said it's fate you should become a lawyer so on that basis I looked around to see if there was a part-time degree there was one then I transferred into a full-time degree and then when I was almost finished the degree, I met the lawyer I fell out with, and he said, why don't you come and work with us? We'll <laughs> give you a traineeship. Brilliant. Um, and I said, I didn't plan to become a lawyer, I just wanted to get the degree so that I could you know, say to you, you know, nah, 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 nah. it's not that difficult. <laughs> because at that time I had a bit of money, and I certainly had time on my hands. And you know, uh, that, that's really the reason why I did it. And, and you know, that's your past life, but your, your current life, well, you know a hell of a lot about raising JV funds and, and you know, placing them with, with different people. Um, how much have you raised? You know, how does it work? What, what do you do with, 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 JV, with Angel's Den? Yeah, okay. Well, with Angel's Den, Angel, I mean, Angel's Den themselves, uh, last year was about 16 million. This year, it's probably going to break 20 million. And in terms of, I suppose, what I do is, I if you've watched Dragon's Den, everyone's got an idea what Dragon's Den is like. And that puts fear into people. It's not actually like that at all. I mean, the, the, the angel investors are called angel investors for a reason, because they're very angelic. They want to help. Then we have other investors who are investors, and they just want to put the money in. So all I do is match people up uh, because some of our angels want a decent return. Some of them want a quick exit. Some of them are very secure averse and it's got to be the most secure deal on the planet, but they'll take 5% or 4 So it's just a question of matching them up. And that's, that's really what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Okay, so you've got a lot of varied experience, Ray. And, you know, what I'm particularly interested in understanding is what your thoughts on kind of the value of innovation following proven business models and, 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 and iteration within business. Okay, well, uh, in terms of the whole angel's den spectrum, we cover, I mean, I, I'm now focusing on property, but the whole business covers startups, it does cover tech, it covers established businesses, even, you know, we can help people who literally come with an idea, because innovation is very important, it's a, and, and there's a great infrastructure in this country, there's a great, it's not even underground, it's very above ground, if you want to start a business in this country now, there's never been a better time. There's never been a better time to get access to masses of results, uh, sorry, reports, results, uh, free, free things. There's just everything around. So it's, it is very important. And a money, is, money is a big aspect of it because quite a lot of people have the idea. They'll say, I've got an idea, but I can't get the money. It's not true. There's masses of money available. The deal, whatever it happens to be, has got to be presented in the right way. That's, that's the thing. It's about talking the right language more than anything. And I guess you know how to package it up and help them speak the right language when they're presenting to these kind of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not always about, and again, I should emphasise, it's not about public speaking or you don't have to stand there and present to angels. We have a crowdfunding part, part of the business where you know we want all the information. They don't even need to see you. You could do a small video of the business without you being involved because sometimes... A founder of a business, you know, they're, they're very skilled at doing something, but they're not necessarily a great public speaker. And then you've got others that will come along and, and stand up and talk about the business and they've got the whole thing. There is definitely, though, a clear gap between people who can present well, who get the money, and people who are not very good at presenting. So you can have the best idea in the world, but if you can't put it forward or articulate it, then it can be difficult to get the money. So if someone was starting a business or indeed they'd already got a business and they were, they were engaged in running it every day, what would be one of the biggest tips for them to save money in their business so that they can effectively increase their margins? Mm, big tip to save money. Um, I, quite often when I go into businesses, they, they haven't got the basics right. And by that, I mean, uh, if you take the restaurant business that I know about, for example, you know, to get, a, to, to get a gross margin in a restaurant business, you need to make a 60% gross margin. Now, what that means is if you buy something for a pound, you've got to sell it for £2.50 plus VAT. That gives you a 60% margin. If you don't do that, then you're getting the basics wrong uh, and you're not going to make any money. You also need to cap your wages costs at about 25%. You need to cap your overheads at a certain percentage. So there's, there's ratios for that. And to use the, keep using the restaurant business analogy, everybody knows or has seen of a restaurant site that closes down and it reopens as something else, and then it will close down and then it reopens as something else. There's so many of those in Peterborough. The, the attrition rate is, is quite, quite high, and that's because there's a sort of cut-off point, and it's about 40 covers or seats. If a restaurant has less than 40, it's going to struggle. If it has more than 40, it could do okay. But a lot of people get the basics wrong. You know, a chef comes to me and he says, I'm a really good chef, I want to open my restaurant. It's the wrong basis for opening a restaurant. A hairdresser might come and say, I'm really good at doing hair, everyone says I should open my own salon. And then they go and open their own salon and spend all their time and, and money on branding and cards and this and that and next thing, forgetting the basics, which is getting the fundamentals right, the numbers, and then the customers. Add all that stuff on later. So the most fundamental thing I see with New starts, established businesses, they spend an awful lot of money on stuff they don't need. 
What and sort of stuff? What? Well, you know, a hairdressing salon. She'll, you know, they want a sign outside, and it's mm. got to be really good. And they'll spend thousands of pounds on a, you know, Ponzi sign or whatever it happens to be. And then they get the place all done up and new carpets and new this and everything's going to be new. You know, I mean, you can go out to auctions. You can buy. There's virtually nothing you can't get at you know huge discounts. But uh, when it's you know the new business, the first business, restaurants, they feel like they've got to go and buy everything new. Not the case. You can actually. Get the fundamentals right, keep your costs down, and then drive the, the, the drivers of the business that increase the number of customers that you want. So, you know, all of this is, is, not, is not new, it's stuff that's been around for a while. And there's great books out there, there's great, you know, online portals, you can learn all this stuff. So just get the basics right, and then everything else will follow. So it's really, it's vanity over sanity, isn't it, with, with some of these businesses as they open? I mean, I, I see it in our industry a lot. They, they start a new business. They have the newest phone system. They get, you know, all the coffee machines, the best desks and the best computers and all this sort of stuff and don't really focus on, you know, the income or, or actually the, the net margin, yeah. um, which is really, really important. Yeah, that's it. And, and the other thing about, you know, accounts, there are accounting packages out there, there are systems out there now that make the whole thing slick and easy, much more than, you know, back in the day. The likes of, well, what, you what would you recommend? Zero, QuickBooks, yeah. all these kind of things. Yeah, Sage. Sage yeah. as well. You know, they all tie into your bank account. They can produce profit and loss. They can produce management accounts. They can produce everything at the drop of a hat, pretty much, as long as it's done right. So there's no, there should be no excuse for it. Does VAT returns, payroll, you know, you can get you can get payroll done for like 50p per person and, you know, and all this sort of stuff. So I can't imagine why anybody want to do all of that when you can, all these things are either free or pretty much close to free. So you've seen a load of different investment strategies, both in your kind of current, you know, experience and yeah. your previous lives within business. What single long-term investing strategy would you say always stands the test of time? Mm, interesting one. One of the things we do within Angel's Den is Angel Masterclasses. So we do it for investors. And we have celebrity guests, they're not necessarily celebrities, but within the angel investment community, they've made a lot of investments, that sort of thing. And they come along and they'll say, here's how I made you know, X number of returns or this much returns, whatever it is. And there was one guy came and he said, I'm going to show you how to make... Who here with you know the audience would like to make a six hundred percent return on your investment? Because everybody's like, yeah, I'll have that, I'll have that. And over the course of the day, he started talking about all these different types of investments. He left it right till the end, the sort of the burn, as it were. And uh, and then of course a hand shot up, and the hand was, you, you've forgotten to tell us what the six hundred percent return is. And he said that's real simple. He said invest in yourself and invest in starting your own business. He says, because you'll get so much from gold, you get so much from property or whatever it is, but if you combine these things with an investment in yourself, then you stand a much better chance. So effectively, you're, by, by creating a, a better you, and the best investment is on, you know, on yourself normally, yeah. according to Warren Buffett and many of the others. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and you put it into a business, a business can go from nothing to huge amounts of profit. Very, very quickly. A trading business. Yeah. Yeah, and you can get infinite returns. I mean, we've certainly experienced that. We started from, from £300, something like that, in a spare room. And it's not necessarily, you know, a lot of people think, well, it's got to be a new start, it's got to be apps, or it's got to be high-tech, fintech, or whatever it happens to be. No, we've seen businesses that are well-established, pizza delivery, or pizza businesses, or plumbing businesses, or whatever, and if they're, if they're systematised and run properly, can be phenomenally profitable, you know, because the, whilst new starts uh, and... and 
tech and high tech and stuff that comes in can be incredibly sort of sexy and everybody thinks that they've got, you know, it's going to be the next Facebook or the next something or else. You know, the underlying sort of core is that those things are all very well and good, but just look at what happens on a day-to-day basis. People always need to eat. People always need somewhere to live. People will always want, you know, to drive around. They want to wear clothes. There's all those sort of basics. So there's only a certain percentage of the population that go after the new shiny stuff when it comes out. But remember, the whole population needs to eat and the whole population needs somewhere to live. So, you know, anything around those strategies can always work. That's interesting. Very interesting. And, you know, you probably see things in the newspaper, things on TV. You see radio reports about business and about investing all the time, like all of us. What would you say about the quality of some of those reports or all of them and uh, you know are there certain places that people should be uh, getting information from specifically should they trust the media when when working out a, well, a business you model know, it's an interesting one but it's always you know it's the, look at the, the what's the agenda what's behind it you know what, I mean I, I always find it sort of laughable when you see someone coming on and droning on about stocks and investments mm-hmm. so and so but they don't make any of their own investments or you know, they write articles about property, um, but they don't own any, you know? It just, uh, I think the best kind of... It's confusing, isn't it? Well, it is. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're good and bad. They serve a purpose if, you know, if, if some people like that sort of thing. I, I happen not to consume that kind of stuff. In terms of economics, I have one or two people that I would phone up. They run their own businesses. So one guy in particular, he runs his own... He's a an IFA business, for want of a better word, specialises in pensions, that sort of thing, makes lots of property investments, makes lots of kinds of investments, employs about 50 people in Scotland and runs that kind of business. And whenever something comes out, I always look to him because he's, he's, a, he's a voice of wisdom. Now, he's, he's not out there putting articles in the Financial Times or anything like that. He's got his own kind of blog. And he can be quite contrarian, you know? He's, he's very good, very switched on. And I kind of look to him. But if there's a, 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 I suppose, a magazine, a publication that everyone would 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 recognise, the closest I've seen to being quite good is The Economist. It's quite good. Some of the people that write for The Economist can be good. TED Talks are very good. If you see these on, on YouTube, they're very good, and there can be some intelligent things that come out of there. But, uh, you know, the media, papers, television... The papers are there to sell, the TV's there to get people looking at it and numbers up and all the rest of it. So sensationalism always works, but I have to say, it's not um, a structure for investing. <laughs> no. I have to say the one of my favourites is The Economist, along with the FT, you know, maybe for even more topical stuff. Uh, it's daily, obviously. And, um, yeah, I, I like Inc. You know, I, I read yeah, quite a lot one. of that. Yeah, and... Um, but most of it, unfortunately, um, as you say, Ray, I find is um, is written by people who don't do it. And um, when you do do it, you realise there's some pretty big holes in what they're saying. Very much so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what's your biggest success, Ray? You've done a lot of stuff. What, what's, what's been the biggest success for you? Well, I suppose it depends how you measure success. I mean, you know, sometimes success can be a business that's about to go under and 20 grand saves the day. And then they carry on afterwards, and, and a year later they're 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 up there. So you know that's that's a good feeling, especially if they've tu- you know they know where they could turn, and they've come to you and you managed to solve the problem. You've helped someone. Yeah. yeah. So it's not always about it's not about angel investing. It's not always about the big numbers and so and so. You know, there's there's human stories behind it. There's people's lives behind it. You know, 
And in that particular case, um, the chap had tried everything. You know, he'd gone everywhere. He'd kind of exhausted it. He was a week away from literally going under. And we managed to get him funding that would repay. He had, he had a trading, small trading business. But 50% of his business was using a credit card terminal or, or a card terminal. So we managed to get him a loan tied to the card terminal so that a small percentage of every deal would repay the loan. So he didn't have to think about it. It just happened automatically. And in order to get the loan paid off quicker, he encouraged more people to use the card terminal, which, you know, which was good in the sense that he's then his accounts got better because he'd been when someone paid in cash, the easy thing was to go, oh, well, there's cash there. Actually, I'll pay for that. And he was losing control of the receipts. He wasn't measuring properly what he was doing. And, th and that's why he wasn't getting support from the banks. So that kind of thing is, I think, is a success. You know, that's that's leaves you with a good feeling. And now he's talking about expansion. So, you know, a year ago, he was in the, in the drain. Now he's thinking, you know, he saved my life and all that kind of thing. And it's great when they send you, you know, a decent bottle of champagne to say thanks or a card, you know, to eat at a steak restaurant or something. It's not always about the money, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I bet you get to hear about the story in a year, two years, five years' time because often they remember, you know, what it was that, that, that you know, the, the big turning point for them. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is it's quite fulfilling, really, isn't it? It's quite satisfying. Yeah. I mean, the challenging ones, they don't necessarily pay the biggest in terms of fees or anything like that because, you know, they, they, they can be challenging. And if everyone else has turned it down, there's usually a reason. But it's, you know, I don't like when people, I don't like to be able to say, I'm sorry, I can't help you, off you go. I'd rather say, give me a stab at it, let's see what we can do. And then I have enough contacts that I can call up, not, not necessarily angel investors, but lenders. I've got a couple of banks now that are desperate. They're saying, look, we've got money to invest. We want to do it. And everyone's saying, I don't want to go to the banks because, you know, they lead you down the garden path and then say no. Mm. And they're saying, no, we've changed. And, you know, that sort of thing. So it would be another success if I could get one of the banks to start really, you know, dishing out some of the cash. That would be a good success. It'd well. probably be quite cheap as well, wouldn't it? It'd be incredibly cheap. Yeah. 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 yeah and that'd be good. That'd be a win all round. Yeah. Well, I'll watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So you must have had some tough times as well. There must have been some periods where, you know, you really had to fight to keep your business going or keep an investment running or, you know, salvage something. Can you tell us about, about some of those? Yeah, I mean, you know, back when I first, uh, well, when I started in the wine business, um, or I imported beer, I imported beer into the UK and not really, you know, I was young at the time, didn't really know what I was doing. Mainly German, was it? it this was German beer. Yeah. yeah. So I had two containers of German beer to go and take out of the, the bond. I didn't realise there was such a thing called a bond. I just thought you'd go down and get it because they'd given me 60 days credit and therefore, as far as I was concerned, I had 60 days to sell this beer and I'd pre-sold it all anyway. But then when I went down to pick it up, the man with the clipboard from, you know, Revenue and Customs said, you know, can't go anywhere. This, this is a bonded warehouse. You've got to pay the duty and the VAT up front. So I didn't know about that. So that was a bit of a, a bit of a hiccup that should to get get round. And then yeah, I mean if I dare I dare say if I troll into it, there's been there's been a, kind of a lot of times where <laughs> where you know you get the red letter and in the restaurant business it, it can be a wee bit tough, especially if you're sitting there on a Tuesday night and you've got a restaurant full of staff and no customers, you know, and it's chucking it down with rain outside and all I'm doing is thinking, This is costing me that much per hour and you know. But then, you know, on a Friday and Saturday, a place would be absolutely packed and suddenly you get the nice feeling on the other side. So, yeah, no, there's always, it's like everything, it ebbs and flows, there's ups and downs. 
and I have been self-employed pretty much most of my life with the exception, the only job I ever had was being a lawyer. And I actually didn't like getting a salary every month. I wasn't used to it. I, I, the concept of holiday pay was beyond me. I didn't understand why they could pay me to go on holiday. I just It was really weird. Because when you're self-employed, you, you have to be prepared for the dips, as in, I might not make any money for six, nine months, and then you can get, you know, well, hey, a big win or something. So in those dips, there were some few, you know, a few hairy times, as there always are, you know, because you have to work out who's of this meagre ration, who's going to get fed first. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, the, sometimes it's the rent and sometimes it isn't. Exactly. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But uh, yeah, no, the, I'm sure if I trolled my memory, I'd, pr I'd be scarred with some of the things, but I think I've pushed them too far back. <laughs> I'm too much of an optimist, that's the thing. I think, I, you know, well, actually, I sort of take the approach of it'll be all right on the night. There's always something around the corner rather than, oh my God, this is gloom and doom. And, you know, it all... usually is, isn't there? I mean, yeah, exactly. you know, there's always a way. It just depends how much yeah. time and effort you put into it. Well, exactly. And whether you, you're willing to dig your way out of it. And, um... I mean, I went on holiday one time, forgot all my cards, everything. I had no money. Forgot. I was there, my partner was there at the time, female partner, but I was there at the time. And she had thought I'd picked up the cards and the cash, and I thought she had. And we landed in Egypt on a boat on the Nile <laughs> with not a penny. Brilliant. And I said, to her, well, what are we going to do here? And at the meeting where all the people on the boat meet, the guy who was the tour guide said, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And unfortunately, we paid for you know, the food and all this. We had no, no money, nothing. And... Once the guy had said, so, so the tour tomorrow starts at 6 a.m., you know, help yourself, you know, to a complimentary drink from the bar. And after that, you know, you buy from the bar and then you get your account at the end of the so week. So you were straight to the bar, stocking so, up. And, uh, well, I, well no, yeah. then, then a guy put his hand up and he said, uh, and he was from Ireland. I can't remember his name. It's terrible. I should remember his name, but let's say Paddy. And he said, uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, he said, uh, I just want to tell all of you, he said, I, I've won the lottery. I've won the lottery. I don't want you putting your hands in your pockets for the whole week. Everything's on me. And I just turned and looked at my girlfriend and she looked at me and I just said, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of thing. Yeah. And it was true. Well, it was absolutely true. Yeah. But, but the thing is, when someone does something like that, you don't want to take advantage of it. No. You know, you don't want to sort of go and go, well, hey, to attack the bar. And after the third day, he actually then made another announcement and he said, we were not drinking enough. The bar had said that their takings were down because everyone felt a bit, you know... Uneasy. Yeah, they didn't yeah. really want to. So he said, look, he said, I've had enough of this. So at dinner tonight, the staff all came out with a bottle of champagne for everyone. <laughs> and, then he, and a bottle of whiskey and a bottle... Of, and, and all the... He just put everything on the tables. <laughs> and he just said, look, you, lads, you're not drinking enough. You know? <laughs> and some of the sort of English people that were there, you know, the older ones were yeah. like, well, we don't actually drink that much anyway. You know? yeah. he, even had, he had them up and singing and dancing by the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, so that was that. And then by that time, you know, it, we'd managed to get transfers and things sorted out. So when you go to the Nile and you do a trip, you do the one week on the Nile and you do all the temples. And the other week you go to Hargada or one of the Red Sea ports, uh, Red Sea, you know, sort of resorts. And, she'd organised the transfer, so we were fine by that point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Rather hungover. <laughs> Rather hungover, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Ray, what are your thoughts for copying other people's business models, i.e. looking at a business, working out what they do and effectively modelling it and making it part of your business? Yeah, um, I'm all for it, absolutely. You know, it, it's what works. If you see something that works, you may as well do it. 
when I get people coming to me saying, I've got this new concept, this new idea, whatever, nobody's doing this, it's never been done before, I'm therefore going to capture the whole market. I always have to say, well, hang on a minute, no one's doing it, there's a reason why no one's doing it. It's probably been tried and tested. It's very, very rare someone comes up with something so completely new. I mean, even inventions and people that apply for patents, they're nearly always piggybacking onto something else. That's just the nature of things. But within a business concept, unless that person has a track record, so if they've done it before, if they've made a bit of money and, and they know how to run a business, and then they say, actually, this might be a good add-on, I don't think anyone's done it, but they've got a track record, then we might take a look at that. But generally, you'd want to shy away from it. There's, um, there's much more merit and it's much easier to, to, I suppose, mirror something that's already been done. But then another thing is to go into, or what we would do now, and we didn't do this before, but we would go into the person who's presenting the idea and try and find out what it is they want to achieve. Because quite often, you know, some people can be gung-ho about setting up a business because they want to prove something to someone else or they've been told they're quite good at it, but they don't really want to do it. And that's usually a, a recipe for disaster, especially if you combine that with trying something brand new. So I once had a, a business person who'd, who'd built a lot of big businesses say to me that it, it's almost reckless to start a business on a model that hasn't been done before. Yeah, um, And I've seen it so many times as well. It um, Actually, modelling and, and mirroring, as you put it, in my experience, is, um, is the, the, the only way, really. Yeah. Okay, so you've done some, some pretty, pretty big things. You've achieved a lot in business. You've obviously got a hell of a lot of experience. What are your goals and ambitions now for the future? For, let's say, what is, where does Ray want to be in 10, 15, 20 years' time? Yeah, well, that has, that has changed from what I thought maybe a year ago, and it would be down to... Yeah, I have to say, coming here, finding out about this community, the whole progressive thing, the whole unlimited success, you know, Rob and his disruptive entrepreneurs um, podcasts and so on, um, has really kind of opened my eyes to other possibilities. And by other possibilities, I mean, for example, I never, I'd never done any real presenting before. I hadn't, uh, you know, I'd, I've stood up and done the death by PowerPoint, and then I've stood up and not done death by PowerPoint, and I know which is best. But then I really kind of learned about presenting the way it's done properly, uh, and that's opened up a whole new avenue because it, it opens up additional income streams to me, if you like, because people want to hear what I've got to say and are prepared to pay for that. And that came as, not, not as a shock to the system, but it came as a pleasant surprise. So I'm, I'm kind of not focusing on it, but I'm dividing more of my time to do that. The, the day job part of it is uh, matching people up. Again, achieved its aim because it, the main reason why I came to Progressive was because Property Angels Den was getting poor quality deals coming through and I wanted to see better deals. But I wanted to make sure that the, the deals that were coming through were the real deal because we're, we're FCA regulated and we've got a duty of care to, to our investors and so on. So I spent an awful lot of money and a lot of time traveling to Peterborough to attend courses. Now it would be a course I didn't actually need for myself but I wanted to see the quality of training. So I was very pleasantly surprised by that. And that meant that I could yeah, quite confidently hold my head up and say to our investors, mm. I can recommend these people because they've, they've been trained properly and they know what they're doing. And so that has, so it's gone from me personally being a sort of smallish business to almost becoming a brand in my own right, if you like, uh, you know, raising angel finance, raising finance as a brand rather than as someone who 
works with Angel's Den or someone who does my own thing. So I have property, and I had property before I came here, but I've got a different strategy now on how I want to, to do that property. So that's opened up a whole new, a whole new future, I think. And I'm still in the middle of formulating it. And by that I mean in the last, certainly since last, about a year ago actually, I started looking at the vision and values thing and what is it you value and what's your vision and, and trying to work it out and not, and looking at it and then coming back to it and saying well, it's not really big enough, it's not firing enough. And it, so it's getting bigger as each week goes by and each month goes by. What I want to do is suddenly starting to get that bit bigger, which is a big, big contrast to what I thought before. So. Can I give you a, a lift pitch and a 30-second pitch on exactly what I want to do yet? No, but I'm very close to it. I'm getting closer to it, and it's a good place. It's a good place to be because I think that it also one or two people have come up to me and said, oh, you know, you're very inspiring. I never thought of myself as inspiring before. So all of those things are good. So, um, and, I, and the one thing I especially like is the 25-year vision and plan. You know, this is not something that will last for a couple. This is going to go on for a long time. Because I have two sons, my oldest son is working, he's now wanting to quit work and come and work with me. So there's, there's all sorts of options there. He's looking at doing, um, you know, learning all about internet marketing us because he's right into all that. I didn't even know. So we're getting him, getting him trained. So all that stuff about investing in yourself, I am doing that and I'm doing that with my son and I'll do it with my other son as well. So my succession plan, meaning, I did a, an event here on stage, he happened to be there, and I introduced him as my succession plan. And a couple of people came up to him and went, that was great, you know, yeah, this is great, you know, you're going to be around for ages, and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like the longevity of it. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, yeah. You're beginning to sound more and more like a Chinese businessman with a hundred-year plan <laughs> <laughs> going through yeah. the generations. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting, actually, talk about Chinese businessmen. I got a, I got a, I have a Chinese PA who's, I mean, she lives in this country, she's in, she's in Edinburgh, and she's been with me now for, for a few months, but she's now starting to talk of 20 and 30 year plans of her own, and talking to Chinese business guys, got, they've got a lot of money. Um, so when you talk about, you know, what's your success, there are a few things in the pipeline, some quite num big numbers for some quite big deals, because we don't just do, you know, we can do buy-to-lets and HMOs and service accommodation and so on, but, you know, I've got people coming to me that want to sell vast swathes of land that include quarries and trout farms and, you know, you know all that kind of kind. And in one case, you know, there's license to, you know, to, to pan for gold and all this sort of carry on. And, you know, that's all quite exciting. So, you know, who knows? Who knows what it's going to be, you know? But my, my wife loves it when I mention about a deal and she says, oh, how much is that? And I say, well, it's maybe 20, 30 million or something like that, you know. I can see her. She's off mentally spending whatever you know, whatever commission or fee is going to be going to be there. So as long yeah. as she doesn't actually spend it, I don't. Think. Well, you need to make sure that the deal comes in, right? Yes. Because she'd be like, "Where's the fucking money, right?" You know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, I mean, what I I did the the vision for uh, Property Angels Den, and it was you know get up early, stay late, have ten deals working for every one you want to land. And spend little time moaning about how unfair life is. Yeah. So you know, most brokers I speak to, and if I if I was to say, well, I'm a broker, most brokers I speak to are lucky if they get one in twenty deals closed. So I'm looking to get that right down. I'm That's looking to get that right down to about one in five, yeah. one in four. You know. I, um, you so know. it's got to be all about 
kind of pre-qualifying and, and putting them through a process. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, we do. We have a process yeah. that whittles everyone, yeah. everyone down. Yeah. yeah. So you're clearly very motivated. You're excited and you've got a vision. How do you keep that fire in your belly running? Sometimes maybe it starts to dampen down a little bit. You know, the the, the, yeah. the gas turns down, the fire turns down, and <laughs> Ray's not as motivated and excited. How, how do you get reinvigorated, or do you not need to? Well, I suppose uh, when a deal comes in, a, treat, a good deal comes in, I treat myself to a bottle of crystal champagne. <laughs> yeah. So I sit here as a functioning alcoholic. You hero. <laughs> um, uh, 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 that sort of thing. No, I mean, I've got, I've got children. Uh, you know, I, I want to create a legacy for them. I've got some property projects that I want to finish. You know, I like the idea of a building, huge building with my name on it, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, a building under an office building or a service accommodation. I want to create affordable housing for key workers because I think it's a very neglected part of the, of the economy, if you like. And by that, key workers, I mean nurses, firemen, policemen, you know, ex-soldiers, that sort of thing. I, I spoke to the government about providing accommodation for key workers, and they said, oh, well, the definition of a key worker is anyone that contributes to the economy of the country. And I said, well, you mean a barman? <laughs> and because it says in there, yeah. you know, a barman is a key worker because he contributes to tourism. You know, that's a bit bollocks, really. You know, to me, a key worker uh, is someone that, you know, is a real key worker, someone you absolutely like. A nurse or a doctor nurse, or a doctors, policeman. Policeman, or, yeah. fireman. Yeah. Um, and the, the problem and the challenge for them in the housing market is that they they are on fixed salaries. They can't earn commissions. They can't yeah. earn loads of money. Their salary's fixed and that's it. So what I want to do is to create affordable housing so that the nurse doesn't pay any more than 20 to 25% of her salary, whatever that salary is for her accommodation. She gets a promotion, a pay rise, her rent will go up pro rata, but it's never going to exceed that percentage. It's interesting. Same for the police, same for the firemen, same for the, you know, the paramedics and so on. And, you know, the great thing about, about them is they're great tenants, you know. I mean, if you're a, a nurse and your next door neighbour's a policeman, you know, and the next door neighbour to that's a paramedic, and the next door neighbour to that's a doctor, they're all highly motivated professionals that are doing things because they love it, but they're also incredibly clean and tidy. And they're also, you know, they'll, they'll fix discipline, things. They're disciplined, aren't they? Yeah. They have a discipline, yeah. They're not going to be noisy neighbours, you know, they're all of that sort of stuff. Get your rent. So, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it makes sense to, 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 to keep them all together, as it were, I think. I'm so, interested. So that's my strategy. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it, it's certainly a new way of looking at it. I'd not thought about it quite that way before. You've, uh, you've given me an idea there. So there are a lot of young people starting out now in business and, you know, you, if you think back 20 years ago when you started out, if you were speaking to a young person today who was about to go into business, what advice would you give them? Get a job to start with. And I said that with my own son. Get out there and work for someone else because then you can see both sides of the fence. You see what, you know, what having a job is like because having a job, if, if you're a motivated person, having a job will demotivate you and will probably kick the stuffing out of you. But you'll also learn some home truths. You'll learn about budgeting. You'll learn about answering to someone else. You'll learn about being an employee. And you learn systems and things that work, you know, and, and things that don't work. Discipline you again. Learn, you, well, again, yeah. You learn about, you know, office politics and all that kind of carry on. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, so uh, I would encourage them to, to get a job. And then, in fact, I encourage people to go work for McDonald's. And they'll say, well, I don't want to work for them, you know. And I say, no, no, go and work, but look at it with a different eye. 
go work there and look at their systems, look at the way they do things, because they take teenagers and they've got a very professional, you know, hugely successful business based on teenagers who won't even clean their room, do what they're told and all that sort of carry on. So if they can make it with those guys uh, because of systems and processes, learn the systems that work, and then you have, a, you have some experience to bring to starting a business. So I don't wish to put off the university spin-outs and the guys that have been to school, gone to university, and then they want to start the business. I don't want to put them off. But I think they have an added spice to them if they come to us and, and, and with a bit of experience and say, well, I worked at McDonald's for five years and now I want to start my own business. That's, I think, a better bet than someone who's just come straight out of uni and said, I want to start my own business. That's, that's really interesting. That's When I was 17, I went and worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken and um, I did a year there and it was... It was hard work, really hard work, but um, yeah, they had a lot of those systems processes. It, it mm. gave me a lot, uh, as much as I found it hot, and, uh, <laughs> and and some of the customers are a little bit challenging at times. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, but it's, you know, it's a good learning curve, very good. Okay, so we've so- talked about work, what you do, for your business, for investing, and everything else that you know we know you for, Ray. What do you do in your spare time? What, what are your, your interests yeah, and your hobbies? Spare time? Um, well, my daughter's big into horse riding, so um, I go and watch her. Sounds I expensive. Play football. I play football twice a week if I can. I was playing last night. Five aside on AstroTurf with all the older chaps, do that. I don't really, I don't have a car, I have a motorbike, I have a scooter. That's how I get around. Really? Yeah. I've never really been that bothered about cars. Yeah, not really. Yeah, that's that's what I do. I love cooking. When you've got restaurants, I like to cook. I uh, like red wine in particular, all different types of red wine. I'm a, a wine angel, so I get unusual wine delivered, uh, much to my wife's annoyance because she, again, is convinced I'm a functioning alcoholic. But, but there, is, well, you're, you're there are, is a science to it. You are Scottish, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, vegetables, yeah. don't know what they are. Uh, no, so I, I like you know I like like red wine, but you know on the, on the serious side, uh, I get health screened all the time. Yeah. I get checked out all the time. I make yeah. sure you know I always go to the dentist. And my health is is there. I'm doing fitness and so on. So you know I'm not as you can see, you can't fatten a thoroughbred. You're you're a picture of health. A picture of health. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I like I like deals. I like seeing deals. I love I love it when I can help someone with a deal. I'm very good at connecting people. You know I will contact someone at the blue after two years and say saw this and thought of you just send it through to them so i like doing all that kind of thing connecting and i like i like it when a couple of people that i've introduced get together do a great deal and you know say thank you the thrill of the thrill of the chase yeah absolutely Yeah. 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 yeah yeah ray it's been really really interesting to get to know you better i i didn't know a lot about a lot of that about you and uh, and it's quite inspiring so thank you, thank you very much That was Mark for Mark My Words.